If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Hi, folks. How are you? It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Um, I hope it is wherever you are um, and you're not getting stressed out about any of the things that can sometimes stress you out about Christmas. I'm very grateful that you have chosen to listen to an episode of my podcast, whether it be the first time you've joined us or whether you are a regular listener. Thank you. It means the absolute world. I love making this podcast. I love having the conversations with the people that I get to meet for the first time or welcome back. So I hope that you can tell that it really comes from a place of love and enthusiasm and interest in what they're doing. And without wishing to sound unduly self-congratulatory, it's slightly mind-boggling to me that one week I get to introduce Sam Eshmael and Julia Roberts to you on the podcast and the next, you know, just Bradley Cooper and Kerry Mulligan. What? Somebody pinch me. Bradley and Kerry join me to discuss the phenomenal Maestro, which Bradley co-wrote, directed and stars in. And it focuses on the relationship between Leonard Bernstein and his wife, Felicia Montalegre. How lucky am I to get the chance to talk to these incredible artists about their craft, especially when both Bradley and Katie were on such brilliant form. Basically, the last time that he was in town promoting one of his films, his first feature film that he directed, A Star Is Born, I was lucky enough to be invited back on a number of occasions to host some Q&As with him. And we joked about how many times that had been. I was like, yeah, we nearly made double figures. And so we kind of made a a weird little pack that we would try and make it double figures for this one. But we'll see. One is fine for me. Um, Listen, this is an extraordinary film. As you'll hear from Bradley and from Katie, the commitment from both of them that was made to making this film and playing these parts. And particularly for Bradley, where this goes back to his childhood, really, in terms of the role of a conductor, not necessarily Leonard Bernstein, but the role of a conductor. So this feels like it's a role that's been waiting for him and a project that's been waiting for him. And you can feel and see um, and experience the passion behind this. I thoroughly enjoyed this film. There's some great creative choices that he's made in the aesthetic of it, in the pace of the film in how he's chosen to shoot it and how he's chosen to soundtrack it with Lenny's music. I just thought it was a just a beautiful story and a beautifully captured story as well. Brilliant work from everybody all around, really. So let's get into it with one of the cues from the film, Trouble in Tahiti Interlude. <laughs> Lovely day, lovely life, happily married, sweet little son, family picture, second to none. It's a wonderful life, up to the kitchen, washing machine, colorful bedrooms, a 
I start by with, I mean, I was reading, I kind of went down a bit of a rabbit hole of reading as much as I could, not about the film, but about you and music. Really. Mm. And I didn't know about your kind of history with conducting, mm. your dream that involved conducting. You had a baton when you were little. I kind of like almost welled up when I read that because it's like, it's like you as a child then on screen really within this film. Yeah, it is. You're right. Where did that come from? No idea. Yeah, but but you know I don't you don't know what uh, um, I mean I could date it back to cartoons and like Tom and Jerry and Bugs Bunny uh, I think that must have been the beginning of it and then um, Ricardo Moody was the musical director of the Philadelphia Orchestra when I was a kid he was very dynamic I feel like we went there when I was a kid at some point or I saw you know like a commercial for it or and then it was just uh, and we had uh, classical music playing in my house. So I used to always pretend, I just love the power of it, the seeming like sort of majestic, not majestic, like magical yeah. power of it. And then I asked Santa Claus for a baton when I was like, you know, around eight, maybe earlier. And then once it came, I just, that was my favorite toy. It wasn't a toy, it was an actual baton, but I saw it as a toy and then I would just spend hours up. I had it through college in my college dorm and I just lost it like a couple of years ago. <laughs> yeah, but my daughter asked, she wants she wants a baton for Christmas. She's six years old. Isn't that crazy? Unsolicited, she said it the other day. But I definitely, it stayed with me. Like when, um, in, whenever we would have to, in, like grad school, write a character, I, I would I would write a character uh, and write a monologue about a conductor. I remember we did like a thing called a private moment in an, in like a basic technique class and my private moment was conducting uh Tchaikovsky's Opus 35 in D major this violin concerto so like it was always something you know my whole life so when this project came around I thought oh the conducting this is like a major furnace inside of me wow. that I think I could then utilize uh to explore whatever it would be and then lo and behold it's this incredible relationship with Felicia uh that Carrie was kind enough to come and do with me she has no connection at all to this film. <laughs> I hate music. <laughs> She's she really. She was like, "Can we do this? Nightmare. Can we please not talk about music?" Just be quiet. Do I have to be there at Ely Cathedral? Shoot me first. Yeah, get me out. Get me. Yeah. Oh, but well, I mean, I you know, I really enjoy classical music when it is around me but I, I never sort of did a deep dive into. I mean, I wanted to be a musical theatre actress, so when I was six I was in a production of The King and I at school and from then I was like well that's this is what I'm going to be I was a dog and a child I was a, both but you're so rhythmic I mean we make music together in this movie oh, with dialogue it's it's, that, that's the whole point you know and and because Carrie's so rhythmic and musical uh we were I see we we had instruments uh that we played throughout the whole film and that's why that must much of the rhythm of the movie is predicated upon the way they speak yeah, mm. yeah. communicate with each other yeah. react to each other as well yes like in the interview the laughter you know the kind of reacting to each other and the giggles and all yes that. it's all 100% it's all yes yeah. yes yeah, it's beautiful. yeah. yes when did this project start for you then? What was the kind of starting point? I was in post-production of A Star is Born, in between interviews of, that we did, <laughs> in, in between our work. <laughs> and um, Steven Spielberg was I I investigating, uh, directing a film about Leonard Bernstein, and he knew about my obsession with conducting, so he sent me the script to read, and I really felt like I found my center in writing and directing film, and I thought, well... 
are you really going to do it? Because if not, I'd love to show you this movie I just finished and I'd love to take a crack at. I think I have enough energy in me because we talked about just how hard it is to make a movie, how much energy you need just to go through with it. That alone. And uh, I thought I had the furnace for that. And so he watched it and he said, okay, give it a shot. And then that's when the journey started to explore. I didn't know anything really about Leonard Bernstein. No. And so imagine just, you know, it was like, you know, walking into this incredible, you know, it's like someone who hasn't ever listened to Radiohead, you know, or (laughs) haven't seen any Stanley Kubrick's movies. You know, you're like, you don't know who Leonard Bernstein is? That's what it was like. You're like, whoa, walking into this incredible world. I think that it's that thing where you don't realize how much of his world has impact. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. You start listening to... Things, fragments are... Oh, oh. I remember watching that as a kid, and that's him. Oh, yes, wow. that's true. And I certainly knew his face. Yeah. Yeah, I mean his his image, his yeah. his 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 face is very iconic, and I was like, oh, I've well, I've seen this as a kid, you know, various various versions of him as he got older. Well, that's the thing, but I love how you're telling Felicia's story because it's so important to his, and that's what you know. One of the many things I took away from the film was this incredible woman. Mm who was so important on so many levels to his creativity, to, you know, to so much of that. What was your starting point in terms of jumping into horror? And, you know, it's lovely to hear the kids and the support they had for this project. And what yeah. was the kind of starting point for you to find in your version of horror? Yeah, they were, they were amazing. Well, the first meeting we ever had, we watched Make Our Garden Grow on Bradley's phone in the coffee shop when we we met. And... You know, he talked about wanting to make a film about marriage, about this marriage and these two people. So it was clear that this was not sort of the woman behind the great man kind of thing. And just the more I learned about her, I mean, the more the more the kids told me and the more recordings and letters that she'd written. And, you know, she was just incredible. She was so cool. Yeah, they were. She was really cool. (laughs) She really was the coolest. Um, And And he knew that. He knew (laughs) knew how cool she was. Funny and. I think he was like, I'm so glad she's like, wants to hang out with me. Yeah. (laughs) Because he wasn't cool. No. (laughs) He was punk rock. Yeah. I don't think he was necessarily cool. No. She was. Yeah, she wasn't. She made him him cooler and dressed him, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, he says that in the movie. He says, if it wasn't for Felicia, I'd be dressed like a clown. And that's foreshadowing because after. She passes, and he leaves her. He starts to dress like a clown. Definitely un- untethered, stylistically. <laughs> <laughs> how did you decide on on the script in terms of how much you would cover? And- Again, it was like everything boiled down to what's the key word uh, marriage? Uh, what's the spine of the film, their relationship? And that's what Josh Singer and I kept reminding ourselves of all the time. Because we, we would, you know become enthralled in a, a topic or young people's concerts or a thing that we heard or Chaplin coming to visit him when they were in Italy. These are great scenes. Let's write these. But they're not, they have nothing to do with the marriage. So we had to let them go as much as we loved them. And really just what's the story that we're telling? And because it's their the marriage and their relationship, the best way to tell the obligation is to when they met to the end. So that then dictated the fact that this is going to take place over a long period, five decades. And then it really was marking changes, evolution in their relationship and how they affected each other and where we needed the outside world to come in in order to eliminate for the audience the dynamic of at play given the different circumstances and how it's evolved. So it all, as long as we had our North Star, which is essential when you're writing a script, 
um, we were able to stay tethered. And that, that dictated everything. A everything came from that. Everything, every stylistic choice, every composition, everything. If you listen to the soundtrack, it really feels like I, I feel like we were very successful because when you 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 can watch the movie, you know the even the the pauses and when you have the clarinet come in, you know which really symbolizes uh, Oppenheim. And anyway, I'm talking too much. No, you're not. You're yeah. not. You're not. Just hit me, Carrie. No, I didn't need to hit you. It was yeah. just so sweet because this is it just makes me go. Oh, <laughs> this was him for the last six years. <laughs> Delighted to have been along for the ride, but my God. <laughs> We were talking about Relentless. Relentless. That you've included bits of the film and dialogue. Is there? Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, have a listen. Okay. I've been talking about this soundtrack for the last 40 hours. I know, I know, but I thought it was like just the music. I was like, no. Okay, cool. Oh, I'm in it. Quite a bit. We did that with The Star is Born. That sounds I remember you did it with The Star is Born. Yeah. I listened to that sound. Okay, well, have a listen. Okay. Noted. How did you navigate what would be in there from his, you know, his, he's scored in the film, but how would you, how did you navigate what you had, where and when? That in itself is, an, is another script. It is another script. It was the most fun part of this process because I got to use writing that already exists, which is his music early on. I think, I think probably, I think I must have walked you through the beginning of the movie at, at, at that cafe to the timpani of On the Waterfront. I think I did that because then I think we watched Make Our Garden Grow because at that time, I wanted to end the movie with that scene. Yeah, because also I remember you saying he lived in Carnegie Hall and how that's such an incredible yeah. you know, beginning of the film that he comes down. down yeah, that Carnegie came into my head like very, very early on to On the Waterfront, which is obviously what he, what he scored. You got him! Manfred starts in the downbeat rest, and you didn't give me a rehearsal with the orchestra. I told you you were going home. No, you told me it was a possibility, Bruno. Good afternoon. United States Rubber Company again invites you to Carnegie Hall to hear a concert of the New York Philharmonic Symphony Orchestra, of which Artur Rajinsky is musical director. Bruno Walter, who was to have conducted this afternoon, is ill, and his place will be taken by the young American-born assistant conductor of the Philharmonic Symphony, Leonard Bernstein. And then um, West Side Story, because of his relationship to West Side Story and how he became synonymous with it in many ways, that whole sequence of kind of having fun with the symphonic dance as the overture, which actually isn't a part of West Side Story, but a separate thing that incorporates the great elements of West Side Story. I wrote that many, many years ago. <laughs>
And then Mahler, once I, during the research, that resurrection, I was like, that's going to be the pillar for his classical music. And then I always thought that this fancy free sailor image metaphor could be a wonderful way of exploring the nature of what they know and don't know and what he's revealing to her and what they're accepting in this black and white rather than just doing like a montage. Um, so fancy free and then the difference between that and on the town, it changed, it morphed, but it was always like, I'm trying to remember, originally I wrote, we were sitting in the audience and then the sailor pulls me up and the camera goes like this and then, then all of a sudden you realize that I'm not there. Yeah. Uh, but then when we were there, it just felt like the energy was too low, it was better for us being on the stage. But we maintained the integrity of what it was, mm. that he becomes the sailor mm. and she's watching the sailor dance to be the musical theater element of his composition. And then other things started to play, like he, he composed this anniversary for Felicia. That's when they have their nuptials. That's what we're listening to. There's the waltz uh, when she's when they're both bowing that he composed. And then there's the clarinet sonata that he made for David Oppenheim, which we hear when he's there and they're first at Tanglewood. And then Psalms, Chichester Psalms, which ends the movie, is my favorite piece of his composition ever. I kept fighting it. But in the end, I'm so glad the movie ends with that because that to me is like, it, it represents the schizophrenic nature to his compositions and the beauty and the, the punk rock aspect. highlights that you the diversity of what he composed yes it's what he said it's schizophrenic and you and it's also what he says to her is you know we've created this idea because i, I find it deplorable to be one thing the world wants mm. us to be one thing and i find that deplorable i love the um the it, there's a line that you say in the interview conversation which is that when you you're kind of rattling off all the projects mm. and you go yeah he's got this new romeo and juliet thing kind of and, and then there's this beautiful kind of pause and then you go you know my schedule better than I do kind mm. of thing and it's just I mean mm. and the, the pace of those conversations that are throughout the movie between these two wonderful characters just feels so natural and it's given time and it's breath and that's something actually I think the whole film does so beautifully the pace of the film is just gorgeous 
it's like it's it's got that delicacy and that's that's baked into them and that that was through doing research and uh, so much of that interview is literally what they're saying i would then josh and i were just able to take that rhythm and write scenes always knowing that melody in my head you know it's almost like well here's the rhythm now you can go and like you know work off of that rhythm to create this story which was really i've never had that kind of joy as a writer before where you're actually given the rhythm i love the way you speak her i was so afraid of her voice i love her voice but i was just it was just the most sort of you know i've done like general american quite a lot and i've done um different sort of regional things in the uk but i have never done anything like it felt like the most because it was so specific it's not she's not from one place or the other she you know she moved around and then she came to new york very young um, she had an American father, you know, Spanish-speaking mother. So it was like she had, she was a real melting pot. Plus, she wanted to be an actress who sounded like other actresses. So there was this sort of, you know, aspirational kind of. And so it just was such a melting pot. And we were so lucky that we were working with Tim Monick, who's the greatest dialect. Coach. And we have their voices. And we have That's their voices. the thing, yeah. you know. So we, we have listen. this tremendous amount of primary source material yeah. that we had at our disposal, yeah. which is, was the sort of right the anchor for everything. Oh, unbelievable. And we would just listen to them over and over and over and over and over and over again. And it did become like you say you learn the rhythm of how they spoke particularly together. You know, the way they would tell a story together. Yeah. That oh yeah, amazing. yeah, that's great. That that's not in the movie, but we did actually shot, shoot yeah. that thing. Of them talking about their wedding night. I was so happy we shot it because it was just so much fun. I loved it. Was, it. Yeah, it was, yeah. <laughs> Basically, they tell the story of how they got married yes. and the night before my, you know, and yeah. they talk about this and what calamity Monsters. it was. Yeah. And, yeah. and how their, Lenny's brother and sister went to a prank shop and bought all these like exploding cigarettes and spoons that bent and, you know, and just tried to mess with them all day. And but it was interesting. Up- when the recording is when they're older and Lenny's voice has changed, but when yeah. we shot it, it was young Lenny. Yeah, yeah, so it was really, it, was, it had a yeah. different dynamic. Yeah. yeah. I've got to talk about that cathedral um, performance. You know, it's like a short film within the film. It's, it's, it's so powerful. It's so captivating to watch. And you almost see his full arc within that whole moment of the film. It's so beautiful. Um, and that moment where, you know, the two of you are reconciled after that performance. You know, it's, I think that previous, you know, the the Snoopy scene previous to that, where they have the big argument and things are said, but they're not really said. You know, mm. food. yes. And this almost kind of that moment says so much. But you're so convincing and brilliant in that scene. I can't imagine how the preparation for that was, but also for you, kind of the excitement of being in that world considering what you told me earlier about being a child and, and conductor. There were many things at play in that moment, yeah. It was like a lifelong dream, hopefully being fulfilled. Then the, the, the scene where they really do fall in love with each other for the first time on film, I would argue, potentially. It's not my movie anymore, but like that's sort of what I felt. He really does see her for the first time. And in some ways, maybe her, him, oddly enough. Yeah, and it's the first time that we see the thing that we've been hearing about we see the shark for the first time and uh, we recorded it live so I had to actually it had to be convincing because I had to actually do it it wasn't pretending to do it we were recording it live that was them playing that is the London Symphony Orchestra live there and it's the last six and and change minutes of of Mahler's second symphony the resurrection Um, and it's one take one setup I came around for like to get the concert master in the chorus but that what everything of him conducting is that one set up that one take 
that ends on her reveal because the whole scene really is about her watching this thing happen that you don't realize until the end. So I was just, more than anything, I was so happy that we had found a place in the script that this, that the movie could sustain a six and a half minute non-cut guy conducting classical music because it actually was completely to story. And there was nothing gratuitous about it, actually. It's, it has to be that because you have to be her seeing him so that when she says there's no hate in your heart, you're like, of course there's no hate in your heart because I just watched this guy be in the center of the sun and beam light and joy back out to us. Lenny did that in this cathedral in the 70s. So there's, if you went on YouTube, you can watch him do it right now. And then I was able to get, I think I got the full performance of the camera that was just on him, or at least most of it. So I had that to work off of. And we we rehearsed the orchestra to do that interpretation of Mahler. So it was exactly as close as we could get it to Lenny's interpretation. And then I had Yannick in my ear counting tempo, even though I couldn't hear because it, it was so fucking loud. <laughs> and then I spent and, – and then he had made videos with it. And I would just remember all the time changes and what every instrument was doing. And, then, and on top of that – this is for years I would do that. And on top of that, Gustavo Dudamel conducted it twice. And I went with him and spent from the first rehearsal, rehearsing with the sopranos, rehearsing with the chorus, with the piano, rehearsing with the full orchestra for two weeks, the whole thing at the Hollywood Bowl with L.A. Phil. And then he and I went to Berlin and I spent another two weeks with him with the Berlin Philharmonic in their hall doing Mahler's Resurrection. So I just did everything I possibly could so that when I stood on that podium on that day of shooting that, that, you know, that I could actually conduct that music. ends and and the timpanist comes running over to Bradley and he says that was amazing you that was amazing you really wow you really conducted us yesterday was rubbish can't use any of that you completely fucked it up but but today that was it was the only one you can use because the rest of them were crap but this one this was good but yesterday was awful don't use that Bradley was, was like was uh-huh, that- yeah no yeah okay cool no, you did. You really conducted us just now. See, I prefer your English oh, sorry. No, no, no. I'm saying <laughs> but he changes. He, like, he gets socioeconomically, yeah, yeah, he changes yeah, yeah, depending yeah, yeah. on that. Yeah. It was nuts because I, because first of all, I had nothing to do except experience it. And I was nervous of the LSO. Like I remember sort of making eye contact with someone and thinking, oh God, I hope they think I'm good at acting. You know, and I was doing nothing. <laughs> Particularly the concert master who has his own, basically his own close up in the film because you can see how unbelievably hard he's working you know when they do the close-up of the three violins i mean you're, it's unbelievable it was like winning some sort of massive competition to be just to get to stand the there one, and watch and the one thing i'll say about the lso because there's a they, they which i didn't know they they because of their hearing and everything you know because you're playing they how many db the room got they did you know when we first first started doing the takes it was very loud and they were like well, we, we can't play it that loud it's not for that a sustained period of time it's not healthy and i was like okay okay 
But I have to say, as we, maybe I shouldn't even be saying this, but they couldn't help themselves, no, and like it, it, they were like they're like they kept saying like we're gonna play this one softer. We're like okay, yeah, and they never did. No, 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 they never did. <laughs> no. no, thank you, yeah. thank you. Thank yeah, you. and then and then we got to then that was done. That one take, it was done. And then we got to watch these close-ups being shot. So then they did it all again. Yeah. And, we got, and I just sat in the front row because I'd been on the side the whole time. But then yeah. I got to sit in the front and watch That's it. That's right. It was. Like, yeah, when I did that three shot and then yeah. also with the, with yeah, the chorus. It yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. I, it, but it's the physical thing of being in that environment, I find, mm. in terms of those. My kid goes to school, so Gloucester Cathedral is his kind of, where he has assembly on a Friday mm. and stuff. And being in that room, even for Carl concerts, it, you feel levitating. Mm in that kind of physical presence of live instruments and the marriage of those sounds together and stuff as well. Hmm. So hard to kind of not just completely lose yourself. Yes. Well. Yeah. Well, there's that sort of, well, my favorite part of that, there's an like amazing gesture where he sees her for the first time and realizes she's there and you sort of pull, yeah. you, like it's like you throwing something out of your heart. It's like all the weight has come off your heart and he kind of throws his arm in the air and it's like, oh, it's just yeah. so beautiful. But yeah, also it was unbelievable. The stakes on that were so high because it was one shot. It was a big crane and it would all, you know, it all been like the people had been moved to certain places so the crane could come in and then, and then come out. So, you know, like... Yeah, we spent hours it was like a uh, high prepping wire, it. You yeah. know? And then if one thing had gone wrong, it would yeah. have all that was it. collapsed, yeah. but it didn't. Nope. When you went into the edit with the film, was there, was, are you quite, I don't, what's your kind of relationship with, you know, kind of your your shooting script in a way in terms of, are you quite tight on what you shoot or did you have to kind of lose things in the edit or that kind of thing? This film was done in a way, I've definitely made movies where we made it in the editing room and I love editing. Like, if I've always said, like, if the only thing I know I'm good at is editing. And this movie really was not about, uh, we certainly didn't make it in the editing room. We made it, we were shooting it. And there's nothing really on the cutting room floor within the scenes. It was all about the sculpture's there right away uh, because we shot it that way. And then it's, what's the best sculpture? You know, and that was just about losing scenes, shifting them around, maybe placing music, what I thought would be over this scene would be over here. It was sort of Tetris-like uh, rather than, you know, you could spend like a month on just trying to make one scene work. That that never happened. Early on, it was like I had, the movie was there. And it was really just about, and I spent months just trying to like fine tune exactly and it was very pleasing. It was definitely the most fun I've ever had editing a film. Actually, every section of the movie was the most fun I've ever had. I think probably because I was making it musically to Lenny's music, which is so inspiring, and that I had so much time so that everything, the, the preparation was so immense that I was able to be so free when we were together. And, and, and if something, a better idea, I knew where I was headed that I could then insert that new idea and know the ramifications to the rest of the script and what we would need to shoot in order to accommodate this if it were to make it into the film. People ask all the time, like, what's, not all the time, when we're doing interviews, Every, yeah. everywhere I go, Every time, people say, how do you do it? <laughs> Come on, Bradley, no, tell us. No, I, <laughs> but, but it is true that any actor that comes on a film that we're doing, it, I'm asking a lot of them because the truth is there's not a difference between what's going on behind. I guess I could be more, I could have been more accommodating to the actors, but I'm no, not. No, it was the coolest but thing. But I really, it is all one thing. Like I talk to everybody as the, we're acting. It's as if I'm behind the camera. There is no difference. So so it's not like I'm like, let me wait. And no, stay no, no. The, no. <laughs> no, no, no. I remember the first day Gideon came on, Gideon Glick, who plays Tommy. And he was like, and I, we have a mutual friend. He was like, so what's it like? And I said, Gideon, it's absolutely mental. It's the best. You just don't know what's going to happen. It's so fun. You just go in. You can do anything. Doesn't matter if you get it wrong. Doesn't matter. Just throw it out. Whatever. It's the best. 
and he also really comes from theatre and he was, I mean, he loved it, you know, because you just did walk into a world where so much of the hard work was taken away from you because you were But like, I will say this, it's only because at least the, the way I experienced, everybody was prepared. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I think it walking in and not being, although yeah, everybody was prepared, but if you create Wait, a safe environment prepared? What's that? I was saying, who wasn't prepared? No, but I just, <laughs> I guess like you're prepared, being prepared in some ways was just being open. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, okay. because um, And trusting you. It, yeah, yes, it? yes. Yeah. Ideal. Congratulations. It's just and and thank you in particular for 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 shining the light on Felicia as well and and kind of yeah giving her story a bit of spotlight. Yeah, as it deserves. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. soundtrack to Maestro, that's Candide Paris Waltz. Rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Bradley Cooper and Katie Mulligan. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that enables your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. Huge, huge thanks. Doesn't even go half the way to thanking both Bradley and Katie for taking the time to talk to me. My show is on general release now and really is a proper spectacle as... You no doubt gathered from the way that they both spoke about it. It's going to be up on Netflix. Try and get to the cinema to see it though because for the whole film, but in particular that Ely Cathedral scene, just the immersive experience of that is quite phenomenal. So if you can, get along to the cinema to see it. If you can't, it's going to be up on Netflix very, very soon. Please do check out our back catalogue of 400-odd interviews at edithbowman.com, including my last chat with Bradley about A Star Is Born. And follow us on your usual socials. We're at Soundtrack UK. We also have a YouTube channel where I pop up interviews that I've featured on the podcast as well as exclusives. So please be sure to subscribe to that too. And listen, if you like anything that you hear, we would really appreciate you spreading the word, whether that is posting on your socials whether that's subscribing to us whether that's telling your friends just word of mouth is something that we really rely on to get this podcast as far and wide as we possibly can next up uh later this week in fact none other than cinematic demigod michael mann is this real life everybody did i say this earlier somebody pinch me i very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then <laughs>